Chapter Eleven of the Pathway of the Pioneer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pathway of the Pioneer by Dolph Willard. Chapter Eleven. Wherefore on these the fates shall bend, and all old idle things. Wherefore on these shall power attend beyond the grasp of kings? Each in her place by right, not grace, shall rule her heritage. Women who simply do the work for which they draw the wage rudyard kipling flair's rooms measured about twelve feet by fourteen and a good third of the space was choked up with papers but their owner did not seem to feel that she was crowded out and fiercely resented any attempt on mrs bonnet's part to keep order for her a thing that she never seemed to try to do for herself papers as the rest of nuzotra told flair attract both dust and beetles but flair remained unmoved by such warnings she did not mind dust and had a cockroach held out any inducement of becoming tame she would have invited him to tea nothing that lived shocked flair very much in itself though the conditions of its breeding might strike her as too horrible to be contemplated not taking into account possible beetles however r l was the only person who was licensed to sit on her manuscript or disturb them as he pleased and with a fine disregard of possible masterpieces he made a bed of flair's romances and a plaything of her verse one room the bedroom looked out over a sea of houses the roofs rising and falling like waves away to the ugly purple of the london horizon overhead the sky was white in fine weather that smooth colourless white that one so often sees in england with a glare of light that is not exactly sunshine it inspired flair with two lines that never grew into any consecutive description white skies of a sunless summer and the long straight veil of the rain flair knew those high white skies of summer as well as the yellow vapours of winter for she rarely went out of town the second room where she ate and wrote and had her daylight being looked out on to leads and by throwing the window up as far as it would go flair could scramble out among the blacks and the chimney-pots and see all london rolling by beneath for her two attics were six flights up and the leads of the next house jutted to a corner and there by a twist of good fortune flair could sit on a low parapet if she did not mind smuts and see trafalgar square through a blinking side street it was a bird's-eye view and not a good one at that a photographer would have scorned it but it was nelson's column and one lion a spray of fountain and a bit of pavement while all day and far into the night the flood-tide of existence rolled and rolled and purred in traffic noises when she was very tired indeed nothing rested flair like creeping through the window and along by the chimneys and so to the parapet where she put her back against sun-warmed bricks and rested sublimely indifferent to her old serge skirts and ink-stained blouses sometimes she borrowed henley from a free library and read him there trafalgar square the fountains volleying golden glaze shines like an angel market high aloft over his couchant lions in a haze shimmering and bland and soft a dust of chrysoprase our sailor takes the golden gaze of the saluting sun 
and flames superb as once he flamed it on his ocean round but i doubt if henley even saw trafalgar square as flair saw it on the day of beatrice school breaking up flair went out on to the leads at sunset it had been an intensely hot day so that the heat seemed to hang above the earth and obscure the sunlight but when flair crawled out of the window among the smuts the atmosphere had cleared sufficiently to make the square a dull gold not the golden glory long lapsing down a golden coasted sky but sunshine filtered through mist she had had her evening meal bread and butter and lettuce chiefly because it was too hot to eat much and had come out to allow the room to air flair always had a feeling that a room in which one had had food kept the odour of it even though there was practically none to keep but as far as her own share of ozone went she might just as well have stayed inside the reek of the streets rose slowly and was composed of stale vegetables and drying flowers and a horrible disinfectant which the london county council or the local vestries were trying on the wood pavements flair sniffed as indifferently as a horse that knows its stable london was as familiar to her in an olfactory sense as visually she walked across the leads and out of the shadow of the chimney-pots into the pallid sunset and there below her the carts and carriages swung past in a rhythm to which she wove romances for it was as easy to flare to endow the occupants of a passing barouche with life and history as to read a novel they were mere dots from this distance but so much the more like puppets of which she pulled the strings after a few minutes she grew tired flair's body was generally flaccid and lacked the spring of vitality and sat down on the parapet one hand dropped against the dirty stucco and a long lean black tomcat found her there and after prowling about for some scared minutes leapt up on her knee and lay down he had surveyed her as an enemy but she sat very still and her eyes were the eyes of a lost friend so as she did not even make the mistake of holding out her hand he jumped up as he might have done on the parapet itself and flair stroked him gently they were two strayed personalities waifs in that london whose very essence seemed embodied in their quiet figures a shabby girl with a languid face and eyes full of dreadful wisdom and a shabby cat with every twitching sinew suggesting the life of the outlaw he was a most disreputable cat and the old scar on his nose was probably gained in a past battle with r l his very sleep was a wary one and light enough to enable him to fly before the enemy he had always found to arrive before very long this was probably the most domesticated hour of his life and flair's tired stained hand the only one that had ever smoothed his ragged black coat i often think that flair must have been trying in a family circle where she presumably lived at some period before she became a solitary tenant in the rooms off duncannon street for a person who prefers to keep an amateur cat's home upon the window-sill and becomes really ferocious if a single paper in an untidy room is properly dusted and straightened cannot be regarded as a social character yet for the moment dreaming among her chimney-pots above the golden haze of trafalgar square 
there was something quietly homelike about flair with her stray friend on her knee and to her as well as to the cat the hour meant something a pause in an overdriven life a certain gentle sadness in being glad to rest she was probably as happy at the minute as she would ever be for she was in no actual pain of body or mind she was so often ailing that to be passively well seemed to her a thing for which to be very grateful and though she had no actual joy of living and no impetus towards activity she was at least quiescent an unexpected acceptance of a story also had lifted the worry from her mind secretly caused by her loan to alma flair calculated with a certain margin that one spell of work would last her until another was finished and to have her calculations thrown out by giving away half of a hard-earned sum shook her nerves for the coming weeks she was not generous by nature and to lend was an effort to her alma did her an unconscious service by forcing her to a wider virtue than her own prudence while the knowledge of her debt to flair kept alma within bounds and taught her to painfully save so they helped each other in this also but the unexpected acceptance of a manuscript and the following check had enabled flair to see her way clearly again for three months and she thanked god without words for she prayed as naturally as she breathed beatrice being at the breaking-up party and hilda with her flair had not looked for a gathering of the clans but through a series of chances news ultra had an irregular meeting that night all the same flair was still sitting on the parapet when the black cat jumped down and vanished like a shadow and guided by his finer hearing she got up and walked leisurely back to the window when she reached it she found frank smiling rather comically from the sitting-room and evidently undecided as to whether any one could be out there on the leads hello she said cheerfully mrs bonnet said you were here but i thought you must have gone out unbeknownst so i had said flair standing outside the open window to chat yes but i did not mean in the soot-fields flair you will be perfectly black i dare say said flair carelessly shall i come in as you are obviously afraid of smuts on your nose i came in reality rather to clean myself than to get dirtier may i borrow a bath certainly go into my room and take what towels you want and the rest of the paraphernalia the towels are in the cupboard which i use as a linen chest i shan't come in for half an hour more if you are going down to the bathroom i know you will lie and soak i'll meet you in the committee room by and by do you want something to eat incidentally no dearie i have had a nondescript tea with a plate of ham i shall do very well till i get home and mother will keep some supper for me anyway the bright face vanished and flair went back to the parapet but the black cat did not reappear and after a time the light faded out of the sky and there was less to distract her thoughts flair never allowed her mind to dwell on the life she led or those of her friends she had a suspicion that if she did she would go mad she had some vague ambitions for the future and a store of splendid memories and on these she lived by the time she had washed off the smuts and changed to a cleaner blouse frank had come out of the bathroom and was talking to another visitor of whose arrival flair had not known it was magda and the reason for her appearance was as much of a chance as frank's 
for she had been reporting at lord's all day and was in need of comfort the authorities at lord's do not give seats to women reporters on small papers magda was taking a chance order from a lady's weekly to review and sketch the dresses who nevertheless are bound to do their work thoroughly and see the match through but they allowed magda a pass at the gates which saved her a shilling each day and she sat in the free stand between a curate and a working man and learned more about the game than she would have done on one of the coaches drawn up against the rails both men were enthusiasts and knew their subject and magda was friendly they told her so much that her account was surprisingly sporting and the dresses took a second place in the letterpress nevertheless she went into the enclosure at the interval and made shorthand notes in line which no mortal being could understand but herself but which eventually emerged into finished black and whites of no mean quality to watch magda work was a gasping education and destroyed the most sacred convictions of the unalterable methods of a journalist three scrawled lines a few cabalistic words appended as to frills and furbelows and a memory beyond the price of rubies made the foundation for a realistic representation of a fancy fate or messrs so-and-so's spring goods when she had finished with the promenade at lord's she rushed off to get a bun and a glass of lemonade at the buffet under the stand where she was half afraid to remain because of the company it was the third day and magda stayed till stumps were drawn because she had a chance of a second paragraph in a special edition and dared not risk inaccuracy the sun had beat on her head all day and in spite of the parasol which other spectators good-naturedly allowed her because she had an end seat and as she left the stand with a word of thanks to her two friends she realized that she had been on duty for seven hours good-bye said the curate lifting his sunburnt straw hat it was a splendid game i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did good evening miss said the workman i'm glad to stretch my legs a bit it's a long sit ain't it good-night said magda meeting the shrewd kindly eyes thank you so much for all you have told me oh i didn't tell you nothing said the workman with a shyly pleased laugh he hesitated a moment and then looked at magda without the barrier of class you look fagged out he said i've a daughter about your age and i'd be sorry to see her sit in the eat all day to write for some bloomin rag we uses girls cruel ard nowadays it seems to me your daughter has something to be glad of anyhow a good father said april's lady with the quick tears in her blue eyes at the hint of kindness she turned away quickly and ran down the steps hurrying to get through the crowd at the gate however she chanced on a man she had known during the office life in which her editor was a standing personality a man who was reporting on a sunday paper and was hot foot for fleet street to get his copy in magda spoke to him at once and asked him to take the brief notice she had written and leave it at the office whence the special would be issued as he passed and which would save her the necessity of a cab he took it good-naturedly asked her even as they parted how she was getting on and left her free to go home and rest herself as she stood hesitating on the pavement wondering if train or omnibus would be the cooler this breathless evening a gentleman came leisurely out past her and hailed a hansom 
evidently engaged for him he was lighting a cigarette and pausing on the curb before entering the cab his eyes fell on magda pausing also for other reasons he looked at her for a minute beneath rather cynically lowered lids at the flushed tire of her face the notebook in her pretty hands she had not waited to put on her gloves the fountain pen hanging in its leather case amongst the laces of her blouse he saw the english blue eyes looking wistfully at the cabs and carriages carrying off their fortunate owners and perhaps he guessed at her hesitation anyhow he turned round and raised his hat are you by chance going south he said easily i am driving to pall mall and i should be very glad to offer you a seat if you would like it magda looked up in amazement hardly knowing how to deal with the invitation it was pleasantly spoken and he was not dangerous in appearance a man who was not very young either with a rather weary face and quiet air of good living and good breeding about him she remembered with the faithfulness of a journalistic memory seeing him in conversation with one of the coach parties and wondering who he was there was nothing offensive to take hold of in his manner but there was a certain leisureliness almost a languor in both his voice and his movements for a minute she was going to accept the rest and ease of the cab would have been merciful to her after the heat and tire and she could ask him to put her down at piccadilly circus and go on from there to some friends whom she wanted to see why should she refuse a good offer there was nothing against it nothing except magda had learned that no sermon is so well preached as an example she has certain principles which she had found necessary in life and the rest of her friends knew that she held them and kept to them there might be no harm in accepting a stranger's invitation to drive with him winnie would have done so for the devilment of the thing alma likewise beatrice might have consented for the mere hint of romance and something out of the common in it to frank and flair it would probably not have been offered hilda would have refused but the point in magda's mind was not that her friends would have condemned it in her but that it was a concession to license nous autres do not preach to each other flair's sermon being only gained by mutual demand but they claim to be women who walk with clean feet through the streets of experience the one who had said good-bye to them was winnie winnie was the first who had occurred to magda's mind as sharing this stranger's handsome no thanks she said quietly the eyes that were still a little moist from the workman's kindness threatening to fill again half with the physical disappointment born of her tire half because she felt the sharp contrast of the workman's daughter to herself what would the father who would not let his daughter overtax her womanhood even have said to her being offered a ride because she was alone i am going home she said desperately and walked swiftly away leaving the stranger to think what he pleased it is probable that he meant no harm by his offer though he might have thought that there would be a certain novelty and amusement in the passing companionship of the girl to whom he had offered a lift but supposing alma or beatrice or frank should have passed and seen magda driving with him at first she could have said he was a friend but it was not her fashion to speak in generalities or to lie so magda went home by train but halfway there she altered her mind and feeling the need of comfort changed for charing cross she had a much longer hotter journey than she would have done had she gone straight home but her housemate deb 
was out to-night, and Magda was a gregarious animal, and feared empty rooms. Flair, at least, would be at home. News Ultra could generally calculate on that in the evenings, for Flair had no social life, and went nowhere, save to an occasional theatre. She had discovered that a general acquaintance is a handicap to work, and that if she visited, it meant not only the expense of better clothes, but took up time, and was a hindrance. You cannot serve art and society. Flair worked really hard and faithfully, the only drawback to her plan being that to write one must first live, and she was simply drawing on her store of splendid memories, and absorbing no new experience. By degrees her copy would become lifeless and not worth the paper it was written on, save from those living touches taken from her friends. As she hated the effort of going out, however, and found that it paid her best for the moment to stop at home and write, or read for the sake of writing, Flair was to be counted upon in her rooms, and Magda was not disappointed. More, she found Frank there, and rejoiced in the extra company. I'm expecting Alma, too, said Flair, as she dropped into the deck chair which she had brought down and mutely invited r l to join her she is off on friday with the cottsmore crowd and is coming to say good-bye dined magda no i'm starving flair may i go up and find something to eat and bring down a chair do i'll stay and entertain the clean and shining frank i can see soap and water glistening in every pore that's because you are enviously dirty said frank settling herself in the only other chair that flair had listlessly dragged down the many flights of stairs she was sitting on the leads magda with so many blacks on her face that i thought at first it was the sweep taking a rest from labour among the chimney-pots some one else was taking a rest too said flair lazily r l can send him now there was a most disreputable old tom who came and talked to me don't be silly r l I have no doubt he is an intimate friend of yours. It's absurd to pretend I have consorted with strangers. But R.L., with a ringed paw on her knee, sniffed fastidiously. In spite of the summer, his own coat was watered satin compared with the black cat's. I don't like the smell of him, he said plainly, and dropped his paw from Flair's knee without jumping up. We have to pay by our established loves for following wandering fires i call that mean said flair lighting a cigarette to console herself and you scratched him on the nose you know you did vulgar beast said r l and went and sat on the bare table in the window lashing his tail he was always haunted by a dread which besets an adopted pet that flair would take another stray into her capacious heart and he should be ousted had he been a pampered kitten and owned by an adorer from the first he would have had no doubts one knows the air of a cat or dog who has been taught his own value from birth as well as the converted strays but r l had had buffets in his life which had built him up a noble constitution and spoilt his assurance it was an anxiety of flair's lest he should ever come to ishmael's portion again and she did not see how to guard against it as long as she lived she knew that r l stevenson of the black tabby coat was sure of half her worldly goods but no life insurance office would have given flair a policy for which very reason she was not insured by the way said magda 
pausing on the threshold to watch the altercation with R. L. What am I to eat, or to leave alone, Flare? There is half a loaf of bread and some butter, said Flare thoughtfully. Leave me enough for tomorrow's breakfast, that's all. And potted meat, and I don't think I finished the lettuce. You will find two or three eggs, and the saucepan and spirit stove all in the right-hand cupboard. Don't forget the water. Alma nearly burned the bottom out of the saucepan last time she honoured me by dining here. And you can have marmalade if you want sweets. Do? Beautifully. Oh, and... Flare looked at Magda's face with keen, sleepy eyes. Kindly oblige me by helping yourself to whiskey and soda, and bring the rest down here. Tumblers are in the left-hand cupboard. Magda departed, laughing, to refresh, and came back after some twenty minutes to find that Alma had arrived in the meanwhile. It was a scratch meeting, but they threw open the window and forbore to light up on account of the heat, and so smoked and gasped in the hot darkness for lack of better entertainment. Shall I send you a jar of potted meat, Flare, or will you come and meal with me and take it all out together? said Magda practically. I believe I have borrowed two meals of you. Do you mean to tell me that you have eaten six pennyworth of potted meat? said Flair solemnly, because if so, I am afraid serious consequences will ensue. What have you been doing all day? Reporting at Lord's. Don't be silly. I must pay you back, and I can't send less than a jar. But how will you manage about the rest of it? said Flair teasingly. You owe me at least three lettuce leaves, two slices of bread, if I know anything of your appetite, a pennyworth of butter, and one of marmalade. The whiskey and soda doesn't count, because you stood me some horrible drink the other day when we met at a report on that sale of Irish lace. It was an ice-cream soda, and I will never give you another. It is base ingratitude to forget anything so divine. I don't forget the consequences anyway. I went to see my doctor promptly next day. Then you owe me a debt of obligation. You know you adore your doctor, and would do anything for an excuse to go and see him. He and my publisher are the only gentlemen whom I know, said Flair amicably. When I feel doubtful of the term, I go and call on one or the other, lest I should forget that such a thing exists. All the rest are if-baths. It's because you never go out. Why don't you make your own circle? It is dreadfully bad for you, living in yourself as you do. Because I hate the people I should have to know, the people in much the same class as myself, only a little better off, perhaps. And if I could meet those who do interest me, they would be in an entirely different position to myself, and that is an insuperable barrier. It is a great mistake to go out of your sphere. I don't see that you can go out of your sphere if you go into a better class of society, said Frank as abruptly as if she spoke with an effort. You are simply educating yourself up to something above you. It's when you associate with a class below that the pinch comes. Dick, you see, had left his indelible mark of humiliation, if not of remorse. I agree with you, Frank. I don't mind knowing anyone who is above me in station, so called but I very much object to its being the other way. This was Magda, of course. That is personal prejudice, but so long as I am a lady, I see nothing to prevent my mixing with any class, and it's doing me no harm. Well, I do, said Flair with obstinate dryness, for my own comfort at least. If you married a man who was well-off and well-connected tomorrow, Magda, 
I should drop out of your life. I can't afford the luxury of a social acquaintance. Flair, well then, I should be very hurt and very angry. Why should you hold my friendship so cheaply? Not cheaply, my dear, Flair answered a little sadly, only inevitably removed under such circumstances by the unwritten laws of civilization. We are outside the pale, Nuzotra, and as long as we remain Nuzotra, we have no affinity with the men and women who make the world of the real girls. If you made such a marriage as I said, you would have different interests and a different atmosphere, and we should drift apart, that is all. I know that many women who may be classed among Nuzotra lead a very busy social life, and know a great number of people, but there is always a certain bohemianism on the underside of it, and their hostesses, I believe, hesitate every time they add their names to a guest list. Well, what can you expect? said Alma, with a gay shrug of her shoulders. You ask a girl to your house when you give a respectable dinner party, and you send her down with a man who, last night, saw her having supper at Prince's about two o'clock in the morning. You must own that the situation has its charms. That is just why I don't go out to supper, unless I have an older woman with me said Magda practically, but I grant that many women do it, and they are none the worse. No, but the fact remains that they are taking a liberty with social laws. If you think the game is worth the candle, and like such amusements better than the respectable dinner party, then I think you are quite right to choose for yourself. But I agree with Flair so far that I don't think you can quite combine the two lives. Personally, I prefer my liberty said Alma, with a little laugh that bubbled like champagne. But Flair doesn't go to suppers, and yet she will not try to get into the conventional groove she approves, Magda protested in aggravated tones. Her attitude seems to be this. I am one of Nuzotra, therefore I am a bohemian and unfit for society. But I hate bohemianism, and so I shan't be even that. Flair was saved defending herself by the arrival of another unexpected member, Hilda Romaine, who had come on from her experience at Beatrice breaking up and dined on her way at the Roche. It had been a hot meal, and the atmosphere had offended her, but it was not only that that shadowed her beautiful face. You are just in time, Frank said gaily. Magda and Flair are about to tear each other to pieces because they cannot agree about our social position. I'll run upstairs and get you a chair, shall I, old lady? Come and sit in mine, meanwhile, and pass judgment on the combatants. Don't trouble. The packing case is good enough for me, said Hilda, seating herself thereon. It is late, my children, and I am only shedding the passing light of my countenance upon you. I came in for five minutes to chat with Flair. What is the meaning of this conclave? It's a scratch, Flair explained briefly. We didn't mean to meet. Frank came round to borrow a bath, and Magda dropped in because she wanted to quarrel with someone. Magda shook her fist, and Alma came to say good-bye. She goes to-morrow for three months. Flair sighed below her breath. Good luck, Alma, Hilda said kindly. I hope you'll have a good time. What is the discussion on to-night? We were talking about going out of our sphere, said Frank. Flair says that if Magda married and went up in the social scale, she should drop her. There was a pause because they were all waiting for a comment from Hilda, and for the moment she made none. Instead, her eyes turned to the dark of the open window. 
through which one could hear the occasional patter of feet belonging to some chance passer-by and a sudden reserve seemed to have fallen like a veil upon her face i do not think she said at last with an abrupt bitterness that vaguely startled her hearers that it is a subject that need trouble us for none of us are ever likely to be asked to better ourselves by marriage as they so honestly say in the servant class no man in a desirable position could want us for wives with all our imperfections on our heads it is much more likely that the office boy or the lift man would make us an offer from the point of view that he was perhaps bettering himself she added with a withering sense of humour that seemed to scorch her as much as any of her hearers and i am not sure under the circumstances that it would not be incumbent on us to take him for the benefit of humanity and socialism said flare laughing surely you are not going hilda why you have only just come tell us about beatrice party there is nothing to tell it smelt of drapers shops and was cheap even down to the cakes which had been made with saffron beatrice was the only thing there worth looking at and when the butchers and bakers did not obscure my view i refreshed myself with her the frock was a success then beatrice was a success the social instinct is so strong in beatrice that even with such poor material as a breaking-up party of that description she moulded it with the instinct of the perfect hostess wherever she was in the room the people about her felt pleased with themselves and their entertainment i wish beatrice could marry a duke and live in park lane said alma regretfully she was emitting radiance to-night from the irrepressible joy in her heart at the prospect of being on the road again since her illness alma had only been doing desultory work special weeks and such like and she pined for the swing of a long settled tour three months at least stretched before her now and in the glamour of her profession the very baggage-man and dresser seemed like friends to her she was itching to be off and already the smell of the road was in her nostrils the dear irrelevant life with its movement and sense of adventure even the narrowness of the crowd which would bound her social horizon that subtle world in itself which is stage-land and sets its votaries apart from any other some sense of this finds expression in the illimitable slang which makes the theatrical profession less understandable than any other for they must have a language of their own to denote them a peculiar people and no dictionary standard will serve their necessity alma's only regret was that she should be away from her friends and beyond recall of them more especially a flare until her contract ended and in the fullness of her heart she would fain have endowed them all with impossible happiness like a fairy godmother even if beatrice married a duke she would never forget such an experience as to-day's for instance said hilda slowly her eyes on the memory of beatrice's white face and voice at the end she was tired i think or something went wrong oh girls sometimes i feel that though i were left a fortune it would be no real good to me now i should never get the chill of poverty out of my bones as magda says no we were born to attics and it's better to keep to your sphere said frank in a dispirited tone the weather is making us all feel low except alma let's break up do you come my way magda 
They one and all hugged Alma before they left, however, and placed most of their possessions at her disposal, if she found she wanted them for the part. Flair walked down the passage with her to the hall door, and stood there for once to see them all depart, peering half-curiously into the warm, flat darkness of the night. "'What are you looking at?' Alma said, following her eyes. "'Is there an enemy round the corner?' "'One never knows,' said Flair dryly. "'I wondered if I had been indiscreet, and someone were sitting on the doorstep until you came out. "'How's the big man, Alma?' "'Very beautiful,' said Alma, with the simplest paganism. "'He is coming to see me off to-morrow morning.' "'Humph! Just as well I'm not.' supposing he had turned up to-night and the others had had escorts as well i conclude you would have had to sort yourselves out before you started there is generally some man hanging round magda and frank has many friends hilda stands as aloof as you do said alma not quite said flair dryly the old fear dawned in her eyes she shuddered and backed against the doorpost glancing round as if the shadow had suddenly come into view even as alma called a last good night and trotted after the others who were in advance the girl standing on the doorstep was looking with watchful furtive eyes to right and left as if some dreadful danger threatened her from the quiet night when i come back again alma was saying to frank it will be autumn perhaps it may be winter i wonder if anything will have happened and frank answered no nothing we shall just go on being nous ultras to the end of the chapter and living the same life it is only in books that women like ourselves come suddenly into a change of circumstances name and fame and fortune in real life the girls who work simply go on working but there is an end even to our chapter said magda and things do sometimes happen said hilda unknowing herself a prophetess there's my omni said alma good-night girls write and tell me if things do happen address to alma craik the diamond merchant company on the road don't forget end of chapter eleven